following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading comes from John 13, verses 21 through 38. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at, at a table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask to Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that, because Jesus, Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I say to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow three times. The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Addie. God did not have to speak to us, but boy, did he. Thank God for his word and for how good he is to not leave us in the dark and not be silent. Um, amen. Um, this morning, we are looking at a passage that I think is um, very appropriate to where many of us are um, kind of feeling and kind of where we are with uh, the kidnapping of Eliza and um, just the tragedy that it is. Uh, but before, before we get to that, I want to introduce uh, a new couple in our church body. Um, we receive a, a grant that we seek to fill uh, with pastoral residents, and um, we have a brand new pastoral resident uh, by the name of Kelsey Ellison, and her husband Kevin, they are here, their children, where are they? Stand up. Y'all stand up. Let's welcome them. Yes. Great to have you guys. We look forward to working with Kelsey. She's going to be um, working with 20, 30-something uh, women, and uh, we look forward to seeing the fruit of her ministry among us. Before we go to God's Word, let's uh, just pause, and um, I would just challenge you to ask yourself where you are. Uh, what are you bringing into this sermon? Is your mind somewhere else? Are you like Sir G and you got your mind on that grill? Uh, What's well, going to come off the grill? 
uh, let's just take a moment to just center our hearts and minds and ask the Lord uh, to get our attention. Father, I uh, confess my mind is all over the place. Um, I ran into this morning, uh, certainly not walking. (laughs) And so, God, I just pray that you would show up by your Spirit and you would apply your Word to our hearts. Uh, Father, you tell us very plainly what you want from us. You tell us very plainly what you will empower. You tell us very plainly what... Holiness and righteousness is not in what it is. So I pray in the next few minutes that your spirit would be our teacher, that you would speak through your word, you would captivate our hearts, you would convict us of sin, you would convince us of grace, and you would empower us for a life of love. Oh God, transform this body right here in this room to be what, Lord Jesus, you lived, died, rose again to achieve. A community of love, self-sacrificing love, not thinking about us, but thinking about others and laying our lives down just as you, Lord Jesus, have done for us. Lord, that's not going to happen without your power. So come, and we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Uh, There's a drought out west. Uh, It's not really affecting us, but uh, if you live out west, it's affecting them. Um, And the Colorado River um, feeds a a lake called Lake Powell, and it's about 168 feet low right now, below capacity. Uh, Look at these before and after pictures. I'm hoping, yeah, you can kind of see bone dry. That's what it used to be, or actually it was higher than the one on your right. And um, the issue is this, 40 million people depend on water from this source. And if they don't get filled up, if that lake and Lake Mead, another lake just like it uh, equally as low, doesn't get filled up, people are not going to drink. Why? Because you can't give what you don't have. That's what Jesus is addressing in this passage. Jesus is telling us that he he has come for a specific reason, but we are in a drought in this world. He has come that we might have an abundance of love, (laughs) that his people might be a community of love, and yet there is a shortage of communities of love, communities in which people lift one another up, are more concerned about their neighbor than they are for themselves. Communities that heal instead of hurt, raise up instead of tear down, build up instead of destroy. 
communities that diffuse and minimize the violence against one another through forgiveness, restoration, and love. This is what the fall fights against, namely everything Jesus came to do. He came to empower a community called His church that will be this all-consuming or possess this all-consuming love that the world will be so attracted to that they can't help but be a part of. That is why Jesus came. And yet, unfortunately, we in our flesh want to be more a part of that community, but we're not willing to sacrifice to create that community. We, We all want to benefit from it, but we aren't really willing to give up what it takes to fuel it. We all want to have neighbors like that, but we don't want to be that neighbor. We're not willing to lay our lives down, and yet Jesus addresses it in this passage. I love how this passage plays out. Verses 21 to the following, we we see betrayal But then we see Jesus' command, love one another, just as I've loved you. You are to love one another, because it's by this that people are going to know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. If you would but love each other in the face of a violent community, in in the face of, of, of betrayal, God's people are to focus on His gospel and the reality of loving one another. And here's the main idea of the text. Jesus calls his church to be an apologetic or a witness for the good news of his gospel by laying our lives down, by being a community of self-sacrificing love. And friends, that is why this church was planted. Fourteen and a half years ago, this was the vision. Downtown church exists to to be or create a radical new community that loves God and loves neighbor. You say, that sounds so simple. Let me tell you, if if we would do that, if we would come together regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic income, regardless of hobbies or what we have in common, if we would come together and we would lay our lives down for one another, if we would create a radical community where we are joyfully loving each other, joyfully seeking reconciliation, joyfully not thinking about what our neighbor should do for us, but thinking about what we should do for our neighbor and then doing it, then friends, I'm telling you, we will change this city. And Jesus knew that because this is the call to his church. And so the question before us this morning is, how well am I loving How well are you loving? It's not how well is my neighbor loving me, but how well am I loving my neighbor? How much is the gospel transforming my critical, judgmental heart, my fearful heart, to the point that I can lay my life down and give it to somebody else? Because if we can do that, we will be an apologetic to the world without even saying a word just by simply being who we are. But the Holy Spirit has to do some work. Several things we can see from this passage. How can we become this radical community of love? The first thing we have to understand is that love never goes unchallenged. Jesus 
was betrayed by one of his own. Unbelievable. Jesus, the Son of God, the best minister ever to walk the planet, the, the best teacher, the best neighbor, the best lover, was betrayed by his, one of his own. We see in this text that Jesus was troubled in spirit. That's how, we, that, that's how the passage starts. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And what he's saying is this, is that love is not easy. He, he was, to the deepest recesses of his soul, he was troubled by the reality that one of his own, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. He was devastated by it. He was torn up by it. In his little church of twelve, there was a, there was a, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And so what we can learn from this are several things. And the first is this. The other 11 disciples had no idea that Judas was Judas. So when you get betrayed, cut yourself some slack. If Jesus can be betrayed, if the other 11, if the 11 disciples can be betrayed, when you're betrayed, understand that you're in good company. I mean, when I'm betrayed, typically I'm blaming myself. Oh, I was such a fool. But friends, that's the nature of love. Love is foolish. In a world of violence, in a world of corruption, in a world of, uh, of where everybody's out for themselves, we're called to love. And what does love do? Paul tells in 1 Corinthians 13, love believes all things. Love believes the best. Love believes that you're not going to betray me. That's how I have to carry myself. If you go into a marriage and you think that your spouse is going to betray you one day, they're going to cheat on you, you're not going to be able to give yourself to that person. Love has to believe all things. Love has to give. Love puts you in a state of vulnerability, and Jesus understood that. So cut yourself some slack when you're betrayed. Secondly, every indication is that Jesus knew Judas would betray him, and yet he still washed his feet. He still loved. And you say, I could never do that. Here's some good news. If Jesus could love Judas, Jesus can empower you to love the Judases in your life. That's good news, friends. If Jesus could love Judas, if, if Jesus could literally wash his feet knowing that man was about to get up from the table and go turn him in, and this would lead to his death. If Jesus can do it, he can empower you and me to do it. And that's precisely what he wants to do. Jesus can motivate and empower a whole new way of relating and living in this world. This is why, I mean, this is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. He was trying to show his people, I came to empower something radically different, something that you can't do on your own. Listen to verses uh, 43 through 47 in uh, chapter 5 of Matthew. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What, can we just stop there? Isn't that what we want to do? Love the people that love us? No. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Everybody can do that. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you, I can only imagine what Matthew's thinking uh, when he's hearing this, but, and if you greet only your own people, don't you get that? Who are your people? It's easy to give yourself to your own people. What are you doing more than others? Don't even the, don't the pagans do that? Dear friends, betrayal doesn't give us a license to stop loving. And then thirdly, what we can learn from this whole reality that love is always going to be challenged is you will not win everyone with love, but don't stop loving. Now, if Jesus were like us, he would say, I'm done. This would have been the end of his ministry right here. I'm done. I've given myself for three years. I have taught you people. I have fed you people. I've done all these miracles for you people. And Judas, you betray me. I am done. I'm, I'm getting in my cocoon. I'm protecting my heart. Nobody's ever going to hurt me again. And yet what does he do? He turns his face toward the cross. And he keeps loving. Unbelievable. Why? Because 1 John 4, 8 says he can't do anything but. Why? Because God is love. And what that means for you and me is something beautiful. He wants to change our hearts and make us loving people because that is the most, that, that is the most uh, flourishing way to live in this world and the next. To love your neighbor as yourself, to, to love as Jesus has loved, is the most flourishing life that you can have in this world. That's why Jesus came. Why? Because that, when you are doing that, you are, you are partaking, like we learned in, in um, Sunday school, of the divine nature. It's interesting, and we're going, to talk, we're going to see this at the end. We were talking in Sunday school, an incredible lesson this morning, uh, about holiness and and, you know, you cannot separate holiness from love. Why? Because holiness is, or love is holiness. Th that's where it's all going. We think holiness is don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do, and then I'm, I'm good. But holiness is love those that betray you. Can you imagine if we were a community that could love those that betrayed us? How different? I mean, like, Really? Like, if we could love those that betrayed us, we would be a powerful force. And what would it be? What would it be? Those people are foolish following this Savior? No, they would say, I want to meet this Savior. Why? Because they are free. The freest person is not someone who can hold it together and never allow themselves to be hurt. The freest person who can live and love in a world of violence and corruption and betrayal. Because I have a power that's not of this world. That is the beautiful reality of love. And really, there is no alternative. C.S. Lewis says it best, and I've used this so many times, but I don't care. Somebody needs to hear it this morning. I needed to hear it again this week. This is what C.S. Lewis says in The Four Loves. He said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Amen. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, your heart, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Love that. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, here comes the warning, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. 
it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Friends, that's what happened to Judas. He was around Jesus, but he never gave, never gave his heart to Jesus. And his heart became so hardened by his own sin that he took money to betray the Son of God. To betray the one who came to free him from sin, to give him power over sin and death, who loved him with a love that he was created to be loved by. But he did not open his heart, and eventually it was so hard that he was willing to sell him for a few coins. And friends, you have to hear the warning, that can happen to you and me. We can harden our hearts against Jesus. Give him your heart this morning. Secondly, the love to which we're called is defined by love himself. Jesus calls us to a Jesus love, not, a wor not the world's love, not an invention of the culture. We're hearing love today like somehow it's a new invention. I'm just, I'm just loving Whoa, let me just tell you something. The world, you nor I, have the right to define love because God is love. Anybody that has any perception of love has it because God is love. No one has a greater understanding about the essence of love than God himself. So friends, don't be intimidated by that. And don't think and understand this reality that God is love. And here is the cut of his love. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. If we could just take the next phrase out, we're good. Just as I have loved you. Oh my. How has he loved you? Well, let's see. He left the safety of heaven and the Father to come down and take on the flesh that he created. He humbled himself and became a man. He lived under the law that is the essence of his being. He lived a life of submission to the Father and to the law of God. And he did it for you and me. He obeyed the law in your place because he knew that you could not nor would not. He did it out of love. He did it joyfully. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the essence of that joy? It was you. It was possessing you in glory. It was the new heaven and the new earth. It was what he could see in the future if he would but lay his life down. And then he became your sin. And he exhausted the wrath of the Father on the sins of his people for you and me, all out of love. Not so that you would have a, a twinge of guilt right now, but so that you would understand that's how much Jesus loves you. And then he came bursting out of the tomb for you. So that one day, someday, you too, though you may die, you may live. Though you may go in the ground, oh, you're coming out one day, someday. Though, you, though you're getting old, though it's, it's hard, to, hard to get out of bed the older you get, though you're not as fast as you used to be, your mind may not be as sharp as it used to be, but oh, one day, someday, you will fly on the wings of eagles. <laughs> and you will be so empowered, you don't even have to sleep. And there won't be any night. And we can just go on and on. Jesus did all of that for you, but he did it at the expense of his own freedom and his own life. And that's what he's calling us to. Put your freedom down that others may live. 
That's the kind of love we have. The love of the, the motto of uh, Jesus' kind of love is my life for yours. The motto of the world is your life for mine. The motto of, of, um, of the world is let me be me. If you love me, you'll let me be me. The motto of Jesus is find the real you by giving yourself to me and in return to others, just as I gave myself first to the Father and then to you. And there's something that rings true in all of our minds and hearts. We know it's true. It is, it is trying to penetrate the doubt in your mind. It's trying to penetrate that heart that is so fearful of loving. It is trying to get down and motivate something different. Let it. Let it. Because God's love is the only true love. We were created and redeemed to be a reservoir, not a lake. You know the difference? A reservoir pours out. The purpose of a reservoir is to supply its, what's in it, water, to others. A lake exists for self. A reservoir exists for everybody else. And friends, that is what we were created to be. Yet a reservoir has to be continually supplied, and so do we. Note the nature of love. Hear me. This is fascinating. I, I found it fascinating this week. Maybe nothing new to you. It's really nothing new, but just in this context, it's powerful. Um, love is a fruit, not a gift. Think about that. A gift is something you possess. Okay? I can speak in front of people. That's a gift. All right? But I can't love unless it's poured into me. It's a fruit. I have to be watered. I, I have to acknowledge my own dryness, my own dependence upon the one who waters me. I, I, I have to be poured into so that it can come out. I can't produce love. Only God can produce love in and through me. It is so important we get that in our heads so that nobody leaves this place and say, i got to love better. You're not going to love better you got to say, I need more of Jesus. I need to open my heart more to his love so I can extend that love, open the floodgates of my heart so that my neighbor, my, my spouse, my children, my parents, my neighbor, my enemies might feel it and be the object of that love. So how do we, how do, we do it? We have to continually receive and drink in down to our soul the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to be proactive. I mean, here's the thing. We've, we have to be constantly cultivating the heart, uh, our hearts. Constantly. Our hearts must be continually humbled by our sin more than they're hardened by the sins of others. Get that down. <laughs> yeah, I think it's on the board, uh, which is no board, the screen. Um, our hearts must continually be humbled by our sin more than they're hardened by the sins of others. We have to continually drink in grace. And the only way to drink in grace is to admit that your heart is dry. We have to be proactive. Cultivating our hearts toward, the love, toward love rather than growing the weeds of resentment and a critical spirit is what we have to do. 
Weeds are easy to grow. The weeds of resentment, a critical spirit, and judgment is easy to produce. All of us in this room can create a garden of weeds in our hearts. Why? Because we've got plenty of material around us to criticize and judge. Uh, it's not hard. All you got to do is live, breathe, get around somebody else, and you're going to get irritated, critical, and judgmental. All right? So practically, how do we do this? Practically, we have to press our hearts in prayer and meditation and shape our time with God around repentance and faith, not merely making requests. The purpose of prayer is communion with the Father. It is in His presence that our hearts are reoriented. So let's get down to brass tacks. How do we do that? Um, <clears throat> this is how we do it. Uh, let's just say, hypothetically, that this morning, I may have been critical in my heart towards somebody. Maybe here in this room. Just hypothetically. All right. Um, what do I do with that? I can preach this sermon and go to lunch, uh, take a nap, uh, and kind of forget about it because I'm not, I mean, I will still be living, if I, even though I might have been critical. But what does the gospel call me to do? Here's the hard work of the gospel. Number one, I've got to, take the, I've got to acknowledge the reality that I have a critical nature, and I was critical towards someone here this morning. That's the first thing. The next thing is I have to understand that that person did not make me critical. The Scriptures say this in Matthew um, 12, 34 and Luke uh, 6, 45, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And the principle there is out of the heart, the heart is the origin of sin. My neighbor is not the origin of my sin. You get it? My heart is the origin of my sin, not my neighbor. And in fact, that's what the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? There is none righteous, no, not one. But why am I, what am, so I've got to go deeper. I can't just say, okay, I was critical and, um, you know, and it's not their fault, it's my fault, it's me, but I've got to keep going or those weeds are going are to come back. I've got to keep going. What do I need to do? I need to uh, look at this whole reality of what I was trying to get out of being critical about somebody else. What am I trying to do? I am trying to feel good about me by feeling bad about somebody else. I'm trying to build up a sense of righteousness and justification before God and others based on feeling better than you or me. I mean you, not me. I mean, get that. You say, Richard, you're kind of blowing this out of proportion. No, I'm not. This is the, this is, we are, we are following the, down to the root, a critical thought. One critical thought in your day. So, I'm, this is what I'm trying to get. Okay, we can't stop there. Or I'll just say, woe is me, what a horrible person I am. I'm trying to get a right standing before God. Oh, wait a minute. I have a better foundation upon which to stand than I'm better than you. What's the good news of the gospel? Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus is coming back. And I am declared righteous in him through faith. 
And therefore, my God is viewing me as if I have never sinned, even though two seconds ago I had a critical thought about one of my brothers or sisters. He is indeed dancing over me with joy. He is singing loudly over me. Why? Because he sees me in the finished work of his son Jesus, not my own work. I love Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Can you hear the singing? Now, if you can hear the singing, you're getting to the point where you're going to start loving. You're going to go from critical nature to loving your neighbor. Because once you start receiving the singing, this is why you have to believe in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for you right now in this moment. Because if you don't, you'll stop right there and you're still not going to love. But once you start delighting in the reality that it's all by grace and my Father is singing loudly over me and I hear His voice, then I can delight in it. And from that comes love for my neighbor. He has totally diffused, the gospel of Jesus has totally diffused my critical thought toward that person and all of a sudden I can love them. Not be neutral to them, I can literally love them. Friends, that is the work of the gospel. Love is work, a true and real battle within our own hearts, but there is power to do it. And as I said, friends, Judas was unwilling to do it. What about you? Are you willing to do the hard work of mining your heart? See, the way of sinning is hiding. The way of Jesus is vulnerability, honesty, confession, repentance, faith, and delight in the sufficiency of his finished work that empowers a radical, the self-sacrificing love. Dear friends, you can lay your life down for others. And then thirdly and finally, and real quickly, the world will know us. This is fascinating. I wish I had so much more time, especially after that Sunday school class. The world will know us not by our perfect witness, but by a sacrificial love. Look at Peter. Peter says, Jesus said, where I go, you can't come. And Peter says this. Peter asks in verse 37, 38, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. No, okay, that is what we think holiness is. I will give everything up for you. And then, oh, God says, oh, yeah, well done, good and faithful servant. That's not what he says. He looks at Peter, and, and Peter means it with every fiber of his being. I'm willing to follow you to the end. And Jesus kind of chuckles at him. Now, wait a minute. No, you didn't hear me. I'm willing to follow you to the end. And Jesus says, very truly, I say to you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. It's not a perfect witness that points people to Jesus. It is a repenting heart. This is what Peter should have said and what he says later, you remember at the end of John, where we'll get to it eventually, years from now maybe, no, we will get to it, where he sees Jesus and he jumps out of the boat, he takes his outer garment, jumps in the boat, my Lord Jesus, my Lord and my God. That's the right, that, I need you. I was me, you were gone, but now you're here. I couldn't do it without you, Jesus. Not, oh, there he is. Let me show him again. Let me get one more chance. I denied him three times, but I'm not going to do it four. No, my Lord and my God, take me. 
I need you. There's nothing I can do for you. You've done it all for me. Friends, that is the witness of and what God is calling us to do. The perfect witness is not a perfect life. It's a loving life, a self-sacrificial love. Your life bending toward, not toward perfectionism, but bending toward love. I love what Cyprian of Carthage said, and that's um, an ancient father. I guess that's uh, to... Um, distinguish him from all the other Cyprians you know. Uh, Cyprian of Carthage uh, said this, We are philosophers, not in words, but in deeds. We exhibit wisdom, not by our dress, but by truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them. We do not speak great things but we live them. Dear friends, will we live a life of love? Will we lay our lives down? The only way to do it is to take our sin seriously and take it down to the root, drink in the love of Jesus, let him soften our hearts and humbly love one another. Who do you need to love this morning? Let's go back to the question. Peter was unwilling to... to Unharden his heart. The question is, is, how well are you loving? The solution is not to leave here feeling guilty and worthless. The solution is to leave here rejoicing in the reality that Jesus knew how you would treat whoever you're not treating well. He knew how pathetic you would be at love, and you know what he did? He broke, he allowed his body to be broken for you. Joyfully gladly to present you righteous to the Father. Then he, he allowed his blood to be spilled for you. Joyfully, gladly, so you could go out and let your body be broken for somebody else. To let your blood be spilt for somebody else. Not to get God's love, but because you're so full of it, you can't help but let it overflow. Dear friends, may we be a reservoir of love to our neighbor. Oh, what repentance needs to happen in downtown church. Only the Holy Spirit knows. What must change in your heart? What grudge are you holding against somebody else? Deal with it. Don't leave here without dealing with it. Be reconciled to one another through the gospel. If we don't, then friends, we're simply coming to church. We're not being the church. And Christ didn't give his life that we might just come to church. He came and gave it all that we might be the church. Dear friends, may we be the church. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't affirm Peter for his valiant work and then bold statement. Thank you that you, you let him see his heart. You let him get down to the root that he might see the real power who is the Lord Jesus. Father, I just pray that you would do that work in this body. Do it in my heart. Do it in our hearts, oh God. Make us more than just a people that come to church together. Make us a people that will be your church. May we lay it down, oh God. May we humble ourselves 
May we, when we stand before you in your righteousness, and may we joyfully love each other and then go love the world. Oh, God, make it so. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank God for that hope. It will never lose its power. No matter what we do, no matter how we rage against it, no matter how unloving we become, we, it will never lose its power to restore, to heal, to convert, and to walk with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, raise out your hands now and receive his benediction. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends. Thank <laughs> you.